0: launch and optimize web pages fast. That means you can set ambitious marketing goals and your site can rise to that challenge. Learn why teams like Dropbox, IDEO, and Orange Theory all trust Webflow to achieve their most ambitious goals today at webflow.com. So what's the first brand you remember making an impact on you as a young kid?
1: Nintendo. Nintendo. Here's why. So Nintendo launched, like the very first Nintendo Entertainment System launched when I was a kid. Um, I think it was like a hundred bucks for the console. I remember I wanted a Nintendo so bad that I started mowing neighborhood lawns because my parents wouldn't buy me the video game console. And like I subscribed to the Nintendo magazine. I think it's called Nintendo Power magazine. But that was the first time... There was a brand out there that actually got me so engaged. I was like looking to, like it got a kid to start working, to save money, to make a purchase, and then to go into the loyalty program with the magazine and then this and that. I I actually had never thought of this question before you asked it. And I think that's the first time a brand actually had so much power. It created an action on my side that was was transforming.
0: Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. My guest today on the CMO podcast is Aaron North, the chief marketing officer of Mint Mobile, a five-year-old hyper-growth company in the telecommunications space. Mint sells mobile phone services like voice and data and has grown, get this, 90,000% in the last five years. The company is private and one of its largest owners is actor Ryan Reynolds. My guest Aaron is a marketer who has little to no fear of failure. One of his soundbites is, Everyone should be fired by age 30. Aaron began his career at marketing services companies, including four years at Young and Rubicam. He turned client-side in 2011, spending five years at Taco Bell before joining Mint in 2016. Aaron was promoted to CMO at Mint in early 2019. This is my conversation with a guy who loves to live moss, Aaron North. Welcome to the CMO Podcast. You are the first CMO guest we have had whose company is owned by a famous actor. So tell us right from the start what it's like to work
1: with your owner, Ryan Reynolds. Uh, well, it's a dream. I mean, it's, it's hard to say it any other way than that. It's as a marketer who's been in the field his entire life um, to have worked with celebrity, you understand what they can bring to the table from a spokesperson standpoint. But working with Ryan as an owner is pretty phenomenal. So very, very, very smart guy, very engaged in the business. And we're not talking about sort of the day to day, we're talking about the things you would expect an owner to be involved in strategy, messaging, marketing, the things he really excels at. And the beautiful thing about working with Ryan is you don't just get Ryan, you get the the team that Ryan has assembled, which is second to none. It is really a world class group that works incredibly fast they understand the strategy behind what we're doing messaging marketing they get it and they produce phenomenal work you know continuously it, it never stops it's it's really sort of a marketer's dream to be partnered with someone who's this effective this engaged this good and to be able to be a person who's sort of a catalyst for that is really where I see a big piece of my role because marketers today feel like they want to keep putting their fingerprints on things and ultimately end up rounding the edges, which really, really bothers me as a guy who came from the creative side, the agency side. So it's an absolute dream. I know I've said it several times, but it's sort of unbelievable. Listen, why did he get involved
0: with this brand? He has so many opportunities in the world. So why, why does he have a conviction about this brand and this team?
1: Yeah. So it's sort of a two-part story because um, as Ryan expanded his entrepreneurial portfolio, we know they were looking for, or he was looking for broad, uh, appealing products and affordable wireless. I can't tell you exactly why. It just seems so obvious. Ryan says it was a critical and essential service, and it doesn't seem right that companies are charging $70, $80, $90 a month for the most essential technology, which is communication. So it's it's something that they know everybody touches. Uh, it's something that we've had explosive growth before Ryan showed up. So I think that really interests him. And we're doing something different in the space. Having a direct-to-consumer model and wireless had never really been done before, before Mint. And, We had some really good wins before Ryan jumped on board. And as you can imagine, a process like that takes a long time to solidify. So they really got to see us and see what we're capable of. And at the same time, Ryan was using the service unbeknownst to us. So just as a regular customer and in doing so for six, seven months, he realized the product is exceptional and it's just more affordable because this is one of the things I'm sure we'll talk about is one of the human truths we're, we're fighting continuously is how can it be any good at that low price? Like, how is that possible? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Now, it's great he was using the service. I mean, that, and you, you can see his authenticity in the advertising you do. And you, we're, re- we're recording this around the holidays and your holiday ads a stitch and it's Ryan as Ryan. And he's so authentically selling the service and selling the brand. So what kinds of things, obviously the advertising he works with you on, what kinds of things does he get involved in with you? And how does he bring his team in to complement your team?
1: Yeah, so uh, Maximum Effort is the agency that Ryan owns. President of that agency is George Dewey. Phenomenal. I mean, you can't really call him a creative, even though he's got 25 years as a CD. George is special. He's, He's a level above that. So we have an... AOR arrangement with uh, with maximum effort. And it's really interesting because what we do, and right now we're just wrapping this up for 22, is we do annual planning. Um, I drive that planning cycle. I look at what the business goals are, the organizational goals, brand goals, map out the year with innovation and marketing, traditional marketing calendar stuff. Um, then we walk as a team through it, understanding media spend, approach, innovation, marketing messaging, primary, secondary, they align. And then we sort of just go. And the really great thing is you have, we have a suite of agencies for Mint, including our own in-house agency we call Full Bars, um, which- Very good. Yes, thank you. A little nod. uh, But uh, so- Our team is working on things that are internal facing and infrastructure. You might talk about web, D2C, some banner ads, search, et cetera, et cetera. Things that may take a longer lead time. But from a communications perspective and a positioning perspective, we'll work with them way upstream. So that way, when we launched Unlimited, uh, I think it was last year, we launched it, but we launched it in a very minty way. And the way was... There's a secret out there that you don't actually need unlimited data. It's, mm-hmm. it's. I mean, it's like an unlimited gas card. Who can drive yep. unlimited? Yep. But that's the industry. It's selling this idea that you need it, and there used to be overages and this and that. So we're we're we've marked we want to launch unlimited. My team, Dewey, Ryan, we're all talking about how we do it in a minty way. We come up with this hook called unlimited, which is actually the unlimited plan you don't need and the brand actively tries to trade you down. So you come to us from a Verizon, the unlimited program is all messaged and positioned around, this is a product you don't need. At the end of 90 days, you get a voicemail from Ryan. And that voicemail says, no, you're only using six gigs of data a month. You've been doing this for three months straight. Save more money by switching down. So. We build the marketing into the product way upstream, which is phenomenal because I think those are some of the best products and services and programs you can launch because you don't have to force fit the marketing into it. The marketing is built in and having Ryan, George and the team way upstream allows us to build the marketing in at the product level. But then when it comes time to do communications, we have this massive creative freedom, because we know we don't have to try and sell something. We just have to make you aware it exists. And because it's got such a strong consumer benefit, it kind of sells itself.
0: Yeah. There's so many lessons in what you just said there, and we're going to get into some of that in a moment. But this idea of personalization at scale, using your data to be very consumer-centric, you don't need this, You know, maybe scale down to this. So it's a really, really disruptive voice and approach in this
1: industry. And his nope. authenticity
0: adds wow. so much, right? I, I've, I've,
1: I've got to be honest because, I mean, we track all this. We do consumer insight studies. We know what we call the Ryan effect on the brand, and it's fantastic. So when you have someone that has a lot of authenticity and has a very unique and strong brand voice, you, you cannot destroy that. And that is something we are also very sensitive of is that this is Mint Mobile, not Ryan Reynolds mobile, Mm. but the Ryan Reynolds brand, you have to respect what it brings and you have to respect how you treat it as well. And I think we do a really good job of balancing the two. It's really impressive the way he engages and the way um, he activates with just everybody. I mean, the guy is very approachable and he's out there on Twitter um, and sort of mixing it up with the world. We love it.
0: Listen, you've been on this brand about five years. You've seen unbelievable growth. I mean, higher growth than most people we have on this show. And I know you're a student of startups that take on iconic companies. I know you've studied Warby Parker, Dollar Shave Club, uh, Casper, many, many others. You're in a really unique seat, and I think we could learn a lot. You've studied how other upstarts have taken on big companies. If you were to advise me and our listeners on the lessons you've learned about taking on deep pocketed, smart, big competitors, what would those top lessons be?
1: So I think, gosh, I almost want to write them down because I think there are a couple of points here. But the first would be outside in thinking. It's something I brought to this organization, I brought to this brand. I've never worked in telecom. And in my history, Actually, like to work on different services, products, and brands, and different categories because it's just more interesting to me. And for a long time, that really hurt my career. Right? Like, I couldn't get that big, high-profile gig because I didn't have 15 years of automotive experience. That's fine. I I just took a different approach. But having outside-in thinking really allowed us to ask questions of why. Why are these the rules, and what's holding us back from breaking them? Because as a challenger brand you have to do things different. So, and, and as a direct to consumer brand, it's completely different. So, I mean, outside in thinking brings in fresh ideas. Example. um, I asked one of the things I learned is that wireless is a highly considered purchase, which is makes total sense. These devices are lifelines to the world. Well, what else is a highly considered purchase? I mean, the Warby Parker approach was to send you five lenses, let you try it on, 100 day uh, sleeping on the mattresses. So we rolled out similar programs, but the one big innovation there on our side was, I asked, why can't you do a test drive on wireless? And the teams were like, well, nobody's ever done that. That doesn't exist. And I, I go, well, why? Why? And keep asking why and getting that outside in thinking, Actually allowed us to invent a trial program so we have a seven-day trial program that costs a buck right and that buck is really just to make sure you're not a robot or like Mm -hmm. some spam bot or something buying it from us but we do that other things I would say is if you're a young new brand a challenger brand you're going into a big audience For direct-to-consumer, the thing that I did right away, which created some real tension in my organization, was I would not define a target audience. I have a product, Wireless Services, that really, it's like air. Like your audience is everybody breathing. There are no net new cell phone customers, and it's all share steal. So you don't really have to define your target. You can, and we had a niche, and we had an approach, and we had a message. But as a D2C brand, I made it clear to the team from the start, we were going to chase performance and we built this brand around chasing performance. And it has had a massive impact on our consumer base because we quite frankly have a very, very diverse, we call it a bifurcated base. We have everybody from what Experian calls the power elite, which is a sort of like a, you know, a, market segment they've identified, which is households with $250,000 plus household income. You're going to yourself, wait, these people are buying wireless for 15 bucks a month. How can that be our second largest consumer group? The largest is obvious. It's these sort of like young starters. I think they've got a bunch of names for them, but like young families, young city solos, things like that. So we've got this base that's very pulled apart. But if you think about it, they're all entering into the brand with the same mindset. And that's what we're really trying to do is get people who buy into us. So I think, you know, having outside in thinking, having an approach that's different and staying true to your conviction is really important. A big thing I preach internally, my teams, if they're watching this, they're going to roll their eyes, is that we need to be failing. It is something I preach all the time. And I'm very passionate about this because people who don't fail aren't pushing hard enough. And that infuriates me. I hate status quo. I hate beat year ago plus 5%. That to me is poison. So I am constantly challenging the teams and the teams now are challenging me to break my comfort zone and try these new things. And it's not just brand messaging. It could be media. It could be CRO uh, conversion rate optimization testing. It could be anything. And having that sort of like fresh mindset really drives a lot of what has been successful for me and helped us grow at that 90,000% mark, which doesn't even seem real saying it out loud. I have to be honest with you. It just feels ridiculous. But to see hyper growth going almost vertical is just baffling.
0: Now we're going to get into your culture and the creative element of your culture in a moment, but I want to follow up on something you just said. You have a bifurcated audience, you don't target, but I know you believe in using archetypes to get at a brand positioning. And you do have a distinctive voice. There's no doubt when I see messaging from Mint, it's very different from AT&T or Verizon or, or any T-Mobile or any of the other competition. So tell us a bit, you're not targeting, but you do have this voice that obviously is appealing to people. So tell us how you arrived at that. Did you use archetypes? Give us the backstory on the brand voice. We
1: did. Actually, um, you know, coming from Taco Bell, we sort of, we sort of lost our way. Uh, now, when I got there, the brand had been repositioned by the competitive marketplace. And one of the big projects I worked on when I first got there was the repositioning of Taco Bell. Doing that introduced me to just some of the smartest people I've ever met from a positioning standpoint. Ken Munch uh, was the head of strategy at Draft. He's the CMO, excuse me, either that or the global head of strategy for Young, but a brilliant marketer and really educated me on archetypes, positioning, et cetera, et cetera. Because at the agency, you may have a creative muse, but not every time a strategic positioning. So got very involved in archetypes. When I got here and we were building mint from the ground up, we absolutely knew we needed to be the outlaw. That was straight from the start. When we had no Ryan for three some odd years, three, three and a half years, it was really important to have a distinctive voice. So we went with the outlaw. And I'll tell you, the outlaw has had a hint of shift to it as we've we've added Ryan to the mix because we were a bit more abrasive at the beginning. Fun, but abrasive in maybe sort of like the static elements because we knew we had to cut through. Now we're adding a bit more humor, a bit more fun, a bit more light to the uh, outlaw archetype. And that has really been where we focus. So um, we very much buy into it. We are very dedicated to it. And the creative team, both our side and on Ryan's side, has been read in and, and we constantly revert back to our. Sort of positioning documents that way we know there's consistency out there yeah
0: we've all been there you spend millions of dollars each year driving traffic to your company's website and then the results come in and they're just not what you hoped on top of that 81 percent of marketing leaders say website ownership is a challenge so what do you do well you switch to webflow let me tell you why Webflow's visual-first platform empowers your team to own your company's most valuable dynamic marketing asset, your website. From launching a new site to optimizing for SEO and conversions, Webflow gives you the tools you need to drive business growth fast. Unlock your website's full potential when you build, manage, and host with Webflow. Get started today at webflow.com. So now I'm going to turn the tables. I'm going to pull you out of the, your current job and put you into a job at one of the big companies. So let's put you into P&G or Ford or Samsung, or you pick one.
1: Uh, I'd love Ford. Ford is okay. very exciting to me right now.
0: Well, let's go there. So what would you do differently after this five years at Mint? Because you, you have worked with big brands in your career. But if I put you as CMO of one of these giants... How would you approach that job differently than you might have approached it five years ago?
1: You know, I think the, so. The reason I gravitated to Ford is because I think Ford is doing something incredibly disruptive right now. And that is so exciting for me. I look at a lot of the categories and in the industries, and you feel a bit of staleness in them. And as a marketer, for me personally, as a marketer, that is boring and not fun. Ford, with the electrification of their fleet, I mean, they've got the Mustang out there they've got the F-150 coming, I would tell them it's time to really be transformational in their go-to-market, right? Not only marketing, but how they're bringing this product to consumer. I know they have unions. I know they have dealers associations. Uh, I worked at agencies with automotive clients in the past. I get the sort of three-tier system, but I think it's time to bring your upstream and downstream partners Into the fold. And a lot of our success or my success has been working vertically and integrating these partners and making everybody see the vision. I think that is so exciting over there that I would be looking how do we transform everything from how do we sell these products? How do we deliver these products? How do we talk about these products? How do we bring these to life? Because it feels Disappointing to go with the classic go to market for an automobile when you can be transformative right now and it seems like the marketplace is thirsting and dying for for some innovation in automobiles
0: I ordered a Ford Mustang the uh, EUV about nine months ago i'm taking delivery next week so it's coming here around the holidays and I have to say it's the first American car I've purchased in thirty years and it's because of what I the values of the company, the product they're delivering, and to be part of the future, right? But let's let uh, I'm going to walk the talk, you know. I'm going to go electric and I can't wait.
1: The other thing is their new CEO sees the vision. So I feel incredibly fortunate. My CEO David Glickman, wow, what a catalyst for me. He he when we were starting, Mint, he was more hands off and David came more into the business prior to Ryan joining. And got more involved in the day-to-day. And when I say that, what I really mean is David unlocked me. And David let me sort of go. I was like, David, I want to do these things. This is where we're headed. These are big ideas. And having a CEO who's putting wind in your sails is phenomenal. Like, that's part of the reason Ford is exciting to me. Because you've got a CEO who gets it.
0: What's he do to put wind in your sails, Aaron? Speak a bit more about that.
1: Yeah, I mean... It's really interesting here. We don't operate like most brands. I have a blank check. That's the biggest piece of win you could ever ask for. It's a win and win, I guess. So uh, we have a cost per sale target. We're constantly growing. When I first started on this brand, I had to measure six times before I was allowed to cut. You know, nobody wanted any failure. David basically said, as long as you're bringing in customers under this number, you're good. Keep going. You have an unlimited budget. That gave me freedom mm-hmm. and that freedom to test, freedom to fail, freedom to grow. It did all those things and that was amazing. He also is excited about the marketing product, right? David's engaged. He's looking at He's looking at concepts, he's looking at ads, he's giving input. He's always thinking. He's a serial entrepreneur. What's great about him is he's seeing marketing being put into the service and product and he likes that it's fun I mean it's fun for everybody but he'll come up with these great ideas on things we can do to enhance the product that actually activates marketing as well so it's a lot of him saying yes and a lot of just you know pushing us to grow 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 and that's sort of what he does and he's I think the only guy in America who's ever taken two companies to the number one spot on the fastest-growing Inc. 5,000. Um, it would have been the third, but we were disqualified. <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that. It happens. It happens. Uh, but, um, yeah, I think as a marketer, having a, a boss who actually is pushing you to grow and not being so critical on the, the ever push of sales overnight and brand over time, he gets brand over time. This is a group that it's taken some time internally to get the organization rallied around what brand means and how powerful brand can be. But David has it. He gets it. He sees what we're doing. And he's really just pushing us to continue to do more. And I think that's what separates a a great CEO from one who's sort of just managing marketing like a cost center.
0: How often do you talk to him, Aaron? Every day?
1: David? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Multiple times a day. I mean, we're we're a text heavy organization. Mm -hmm. Um, That's primarily how I engage with Ryan and with George, with David. But uh, I mean, we're in constant contact. The brand's growing so fast and doing so many interesting things. You sort of feel like that person who's juggling all those plates that are spinning in the air and doing all that. I, I can think of a dozen occasions where something enormous happened in a day. And we're sort of on the phone at 3, 4, 5 p.m. coming up with solutions and they're activated in the next 48, 72 hours. I mean, we work exceptionally fast. And I think that's another thing that building a nimble organization has really allowed us to do some interesting things. Well,
0: let's talk a bit more about your job as CMO at Mint. I've heard you say that your two biggest challenges are saying no and finding staffing and talent. Are those still your biggest challenges? And if so, how are you doing against them? What are you doing that others could learn from?
1: Staffing is insane. I mean, we are in, I don't, so I've read everything about like this great resignation. I don't feel like people are quitting work. I feel like right now employees have leverage. They know they have leverage and they're using this leverage to get better compensated, to get career moves that are making them happy because satisfaction is not just money. You might be in a situation that's just poisonous. And staffing is our number one opportunity and challenge. It is something that it just takes a lot of time to find the exact right people because my teams all are looking for not only skill set fit, so the right person for the right seat. But to me, it's really important we have people who sort of are going to add to the community or to the, the culture of the organization I interview every single employee who comes into the marketing department. You cannot work here without talking to me. It's just, I've worked in environments that have been poisonous. Isn't the right toxic. Yes. Thank you. Um, I've been in those and you can't win. It's you're, you're trying so hard to fight against internal sources that you forget Mm -hmm. your ultimate challenge is to grow these brands. And so I interview everybody and the coolest thing we've done from an employment standpoint was we took out an ad. So we, we had Ryan pen an ad called Mint, and mm. we put that out, and the number of resumes we got in increased, I think it was something like a hundredfold. So we then had to staff up our recruiting team, and we are now able to sort, of sort through the resumes and things like that, but um, hiring folks is critically important. Saying no is also something you brought up. I have to say no. I hate saying no. I want to be growing, but sort of like I always feel like we need to be incredibly sharp, like razor's edge sharp, so I will say no to lots of things until I feel like either this is worthy of a test and learning or it is so good we have to say yes to this. I mean, it's sort of a steel sharp and steel mentality over here on stuff like that and it's a bummer for some folks because I'm probably the most critical of our organic social just because it, it is a, the true voice of the brand. and that team is doing great work for us, but I am it's one of those where it's sort of a bloodbath. You're going to see 20, 30 different copy or, you know, copy art concepts before you get something that wins. And I, I don't really want to apologize for it because I think it's important, but uh, I know it makes it tough for that team.
0: Where are you personally focused right now, Aaron? You talked about organic social. You talked about staffing as big, as a big challenge. So when I if I looked at your diary for the week, the month, where would I see? What would I deduce from that? Where are you spending your time? Where are you focused?
1: Yeah. Uh, very much right now, this time of year for us is uh, annual planning. And it's probably, this sounds weird because I hated planning on the agency side. It was so hard and so difficult. But On the brand side, when you get to make the decisions rather than be an influencer, so much more fun. So this is my favorite time of year. Um, We are working to double the size of the brand again next year. That is the sort of always stated goal. So what you're going to see on my docket is um, product and service innovation. We want to have at least two or three meaningful innovations next year. We're working on how to build the marketing into them now. social is also really important for us. Social, the brand had a very small social voice when it started, obviously. Um, Over the years, it grew. Adding Ryan has really amplified sort of the reach and touch of our social platforms. We have been focused on the commercial side of growing the business for the last two years plus. We still are doing social, but we haven't put sort of the massive dedicated effort I want to see against it. So that is going to be a big push this next year. And that's organic because we're big in the space on paid already. But you would see that. You'd also see something that you probably don't get from a lot of product marketers, which is that relationship marketing component. We have an ongoing relationship with our customers. It's really important to me that we're doing things to enhance the experience surprise, delight. Uh, We have a fun piece um, in the mail right now, and I'm talking physical mail, not email, which is bizarre for a digital brand, I know, but we have a little surprise and delight on their way to all of our customers right now. Related to the holidays? That's right. We're actually sending, um, last year we did for the first time, a holiday card from Mint Mobile, and it was really interesting because it was a tough year last year. So the message it had an image of Ryan, sort of like deep in thought, and it said, um, "Cheery and bright" have been replaced by, you know, like like two melancholy uh, adjectives. It, it's like because it's kind of a weird year, but this year we've had a lot more fun with it, and we are sending holiday cards to all of our customers, which is fun. You will see it, all, it started to pop up on Twitter, and then speaking Jim, of a way our teams work together, in that card is. A second piece of paper. And that second piece of paper is the sort of anti elf on a shelf. It's Ryan on an Island. <laughs> and that was a concept that sort of originated in full bars, our agency that we just loved. And, you know, we, we brought it to maximum effort. They loved it too. It was this big. Oh, this is a good idea. We're very excited about this. So then we went to them and we started talking about, uh, how do we bring this to life? And just, we did. So we, we got it all shot. We got it cut. Um, cut. Sorry, I'm talking about a die cut, uh, not like an edit. But uh, got everything squared away and sent it out in the mail. And it's this beautiful relationship between the agencies. But it's such a fun surprise and delight for the customer. They all know Ryan. Um, you know, they either get a voicemail from him or maybe a message from him. They know who he is. But to get this little holiday card and a little thing extra, you know, it's just fun. And you see the general reaction on Twitter. You'll see it on Reddit. Of course, you're going to have the trolls who are like, what a waste of paper. Or, you know, like, why would you do this? This is silly. But then you get people who just they get our brand. We're trying to be light. We're trying to have some fun. We're going to do this. It's great and enjoy it. And people are having a good time with it. So you will see a lot on my plate about those three areas, growth, innovation, and retention.
0: Now you're a, a very creative brand and you are a very creative CMO and your your kind of your origin story and your career path was very much on the creative side. What is your advice? Because I think that's a bit rare with CMOs and, and so many CMOs I think struggle with this. So what is your advice to sitting CMOs who would like to have a more creative organization? a more daring organization, an organization that isn't afraid to fail. It doesn't feel paralyzed. What is your counsel to them to have an organization that's as dynamic and as fun and as successful as yours is?
1: That is a tough question because I'm sure we've got people listening from brands. I mean, we just talked about Ford and we're also talking about starting up and I think how you execute that Depending on where what kind of an organization you sit in is very different. If you're at Ford, it's tough to be a Maverick, right? It it's very difficult because you've got an established business with established processes, et cetera, et cetera. I think that starts with buy-in at the top. And then you you grow slow, right? If you're a young brand, counter to that, you build it in from day one. Everybody thinks I, I call mint the five-year overnight success. It's gotten a lot of lot of uh, accolades news and and awareness recently, but we were grinding for years and years and years. And I have a mentality, which we already said, is 10% of our media budget is into the unproven, the untested. I love to fail because it pushes, and we fail a lot. I mean, you got to be okay with that. But I always say, fail fast, fail smart, fail cheap, fail forward. So if you're failing, you're actually not. You're growing by learning. So to me, if you re look, we're marketers, position the failures as growth, right? Mm -hmm. Like position them as learnings and how we're going to activate. Then occasionally you'll get a hit, you'll get a win. And what we do is when we get a win, we scale like to no end. We scale to the point of diminishing returns as fast as we can. And that is how we've been able to grow. But we do start small. I mean, I remember when Mint started, our marketing budget was something like $10,000 a month. And we've grown it into a really powerful brand, but we started really small. That's okay. You know, you don't have to do, you don't have to have success immediately.
0: I've heard you speak of something that you're proud of at the company, and that is how you changed the mindset about advertising. It was historically kind of viewed as a non-productive, unneeded expense. And now it's broadly viewed as a growth driver. Why did your company see it? As such an unproductive expense. And what did you do to change that opinion so that everyone is an advocate for your messaging and your advertising?
1: Well, we're actually a house of brands. So I don't think a lot of people know that. Mm-hmm. Mint is the flagship brand, but we have a couple others. I talked about how David took two other companies to the fastest growing. Um, one of them was Ultra Mobile, which is the sister brand in the same company. The challenge with with Ultra and advertising and media was that the customer base is actually not really receptive when it comes to this purchase to broad-based messaging. It's, uh, the customer base is uh, first, second generation Americans looking to call home. They may be unbankable here in the United States. Um, they may be a cash transaction. So you look at their point of distribution and it's in little wireless stores. We would recognize them because we would drive by and you would see the inflatable person with the arms sort of swinging and sure. a wireless big flag. But a lot of people shop there. And anytime we tried to grow through media or marketing outside the four walls of those buildings, it it was simply an expense. It was very, very difficult to grow there. So. What the team did was rather than put the money into marketing, they bought down the price of the service. When I got here, I understood that and understood what they were doing. But I said, you cannot do that in the direct-to-consumer space, and you cannot do that if you want to build something different. You have to invest in brand. You have to. And it was not a choice. But we started small again, and we grew that over and over. And people caught religion here after we did our first attitude and usage study. So I brought, research was not a thing here. It was instinct and gut, and look, that can get you a long way. That that actually can help you build a very successful business. I felt like there was a need for professional management and professional marketing management includes consumer insights. So we stood up a small team and that team started executing attitude and usage studies. And our a really showed us how people who were buying into the brand were willing to give you a pass on mistakes or errors. And we saw that. And we also were, this is a unique brand in the sense that we've been around since day zero and Reddit. So the product was, you know, you buy wireless online, a very novel concept at the time it launched. Nobody was selling wireless online. You couldn't even get it on AT&T's website. They told you through chat to go to a store. You physically could not buy it. So media and brand and building the brand over time started happening. We saw it from the ANU. We also saw it in Reddit, a place where we were very active because that user or the Reddit profile that customer, the person who's a heavy Reddit user, is also likely to buy wireless online. We found that quickly. So we engage in that audience. And you can just see it. And having management see it and see it and see it. You got to see it seven, eight, nine, 10 times, 15 times. They see the impact of brand. And explaining, this is the impact of brand. You know, people are giving us a pass on this because they believe in the brand. Showing that really changed the mindset here to the point now where we have a monthly brand tracker that goes to the executive team. We do ANU studies twice a year. We're, we're doing a lot of consumer research that shows the power of our brand. And having that, having the management team buy into it, pre-Ryan actually has like really expanded our opportunity now because we can see the impact of Ryan on brand score and now the team really gets it and they want to supercharge brand because they, they understand that brand is driving growth now, right? So it didn't happen at day one, didn't happen at day zero, but much like everything in life, continuous improvement, continuing to sort of pound the rock, you will get there. And now it's reaping rewards for us, which is really great.
0: The lesson in that is you leverage data, you leverage consumer data, you share the data, You didn't operate in a silo, you're part of this business team, and the confidence came from the results and from showing the data, and I think we just sometimes don't do that enough. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. I want to talk about your career path for a minute. In some ways, it's been a very classic CMO career path, right? You studied business at UC Riverside, you got an MBA at Pepperdine, you had early experience at agencies, five years at Yum Brands, mostly at Taco Bell. What's different about your experience is you had a side hustle. You started a company and you, and you kept at that for several years. So I'd like you to talk about that a bit. Why did you do that? Did it help oh you gosh. in your other work? Would you recommend it to others?
1: I, I did not expect this question. This is a fun one for me. So this is very personal to me. Um, uh, so I was at agency. You're exactly right. I was at Ryan partnership, which um, was in Los Angeles, getting my MBA at the time. I was the only person at the time in, the, in our office in the agency to get my MBA or have an MBA. I felt it critically important for me personally. I sorta of knew the agency model wasn't for me as well. And I wanted to jump to the other side. But while I was in school, um, my last, I guess last semester of uh, grad school at Pepperdine I was in an entrepreneurship class where you're writing business plans and doing all this. And the, the person who ran that class was the head of Skunk Works at Xerox for many, many years. I wrote the business plan on a, at the time, the positioning of it was, was it was a super premium cocktail mixer. And Patron and Grey Goose were sort of all the rage at the time. They were absolutely on fire. And the concept was, why would you mix a premium spirit with a shelf mixer? So we invented the first super premium organic cocktail mixer, and man, to to write the business plan for it, and to have the Skunk Works expert tell you if this is real and you can you can deliver at these costs and you can do this and this, you should really give it a serious go, was very inspiring for me. And I did start it as a side hustle. Um, I. Don't even remember how long I want to say it's like eight to 10 years, but I call it my PhD in marketing and really PhD in business as well, because a lot of marketers, it's not just brand, right? Like we are in many instances, the drivers of the business in, in our organizations. And for me to have to learn everything, it was just two guys. Okay. Me and a partner and our flavor profile was ginger. So we had to source ginger. We had to invent a manufacturing process. We had to contract manufacture it. We had to get FDA approvals. We had to build our own distribution systems. We had, I mean, I was literally loading ginger into a grinding machine, you know, and it was just such an experience. I highly recommend it for the learnings, highly recommend it. It, it was just, It also, I'm an entrepreneur, so it really sharpened my skill set on my problem-solving abilities because there's no one there to help you. And I think it, had I not had that experience, I would not have been successful at Ultra and Mint because when I came here, it was small. Mm. So it really showed me how to survive in a world of, you know, imperfect knowledge and no help or very limited help. So I'd recommend it. Don't do it while you're in grad school and working in an agency. You, it, it will kill you. It will kill you. I do not recommend that. I had no life balance. I remember that was a miserable time for me. I was four hours on Sunday was the only personal time I had working in an agency. It's 70, 80 hours a week, going to grad school and starting a business is miserable. So highly recommend it. But just, you know, make, make sure you've got enough time for it.
0: It worked out in the end. Hey, you, you went to Taco Bell and you stayed there for five or six years before coming to Mint. It's a very, obviously, that's a brand that is very successful over the long term, has great creative chops, has a great string of leaders who've come out of that brand who have, gone, who have gone on to amazing things. So how did that time influence you today, Aaron, the leader you are today?
1: It was massive. I think um, scale and confidence are the Two things that I learned the most there. One, my boss at the time, Tracy LaRocca, she's fantastic. She really pushed me to trust my instincts. It's always weird talking about yourself, but I I think I'm a really good marketer. But you start to second guess yourself when you get to the scale of a Taco Bell. I asked in my interview there to the CMO at the time why they don't have a lobster taco. He said he was Australian to you know if if we if we served a lobster taco there would be no lobster left in the ocean yeah right. that's how big we are so i had never seen scale like that and that kind of scale should i think out of respect breed some fear into your decision making process she was exceptional in saying just you got to trust your gut be smart but trust your gut that was critically important and then to have an opportunity to have massive budgets and really push and grow. And we were doing cool stuff at the time. I was there for the rebrand and Live Moss. I was there for Doritos Locos Taco. I was there for breakfast where we used Ronald McDonald. By the time Ronald McDonald hit, I've been there several years. I remember being in the creative meeting where that was, that was the first concept pitched of three. And I basically said, you don't need to stop the meeting and said, you don't need to present anything else. This is what we need to make. And everybody's sort of looking at me and they dot, 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 if legal approve it, right? Like, so.
0: Um, no, I remember that well. And in many ways, that's a challenger brand attitude, right?
1: It was. And that's how we sort of attacked it, because we used to say um, we're a taco stand in a burger world.
0: Say for a minute for our listeners what that was, the Ronald McDonald idea.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. So the truth is that McDonald's dominates breakfast, fast food breakfast. Burger King had been chipping away at them for decades, and Taco Bell had failed every single time. It's Taco Bell, because of the scale, always market test before you go national launch. So every single breakfast concept failed. Finally, the the product team developed these amazing products, which was basically American breakfast wrapped up so you can take it on the go. I mean, a crunch wrap was eggs, bacon, cheese, and a tortilla. Tortilla substitute for bread. But the insight around it was that people were scared of Taco Bell breakfast and we needed to really hammer home this idea of traditional American. So we thought, or the agency thought, I cannot take credit for this at all. The agency said, why not have Ronald McDonald endorse Taco Bell breakfast? So we went out and called. I think we called like 250 people in America named Ronald McDonald, got about 25 of them to show up for what they thought was um, like a, a documentary on people with famous names. And they showed up and they were, they were in this, it was a surprise ad concept. So they sort of showed up and they were introduced to this product and we cut these phenomenal ads, like just so good. Um, saying, you'll never believe who's excited about Taco Bell breakfast, Ronald McDonald, and sort of the, the ads took off from there.
0: Yeah, it's a fabulous concept. Let's move to the creative brief, Aaron. And the first question is, you think everyone should be fired by age 30? Yeah. Were you fired by age 30?
1: Close. Yeah, close.
0: Why do you say everyone should be fired by age 30?
1: Well, this is going to be me harping that message again. So many people are trying to play it safe out there. That's a problem in marketing. We need to be taking more calculated risk. And if... If you're not pushing, again, I don't think you're trying hard enough. So I say, if you haven't been fired by the age of 30, you haven't tried hard enough because you should be pushing concepts or pushing ideas that are making people feel uncomfortable. And that can put your career at risk. Who cares if you're young? You don't have a family. You don't have a mortgage. You don't have any of these things. Now is the time to take calculated risk. Bet on yourself. I mean, even Warren Buffett says the best investment you can make is in yourself. As a marketer, that investment is in creative thinking and creative ideas. I was an account person who was tight with creative and tight with the strategy group because they were, they were actually the most fun people in the agency. So I liked hanging out with them, but it got me exposed to the ways they work. And look, I may not have sold in one creative idea to the creative team, but I was constantly pitching. And, you know, I think... Telling the creative team, I expect my ideas to get beat up and abused. And to my creative directors, I don't want you to hold any punches on me. Like, let me have it. If I got a crappy idea, tell me it's a crappy idea. But this, I, this concept of constantly growing and pushing and driving for something that's breakthrough, I think is important to young marketers. And I think that could really serve a lot of people well to sort of break out of these confined, this confined box or these rules that have been given to you and respect. Whatever process you have, but add some more. I I do this with our creative team. I tell them, answer the brief. Okay. But if in solving for whatever creative concept you're doing and you're solving for the brief, you come up with something totally different and exciting, I wanna see it. I wanna, I want that. It's, you're not gonna get in trouble for that. You're gonna be commended for something like that, even if it's wrong. But the fact that you're pushing in a new direction or you have this exciting new thought, that's exciting. And, I will warn the marketers out there listening, it's going to rub people the wrong way. It's an abrasive idea because you're challenging convention, and that's why it may get you in trouble in your career, but it's okay. You're going to find another great gig and bring that attitude and approach, and I think it will serve you well long-term.
0: What is the Aaron
1: North archetype? Oh, man. Um, (laughs) I'm a bit of a jester, I would say. I do probably have a, sort of like a shadow archetype, which is a bit of an outlaw because I am a little bit of a maverick. But I'm I'm a I'm a fun guy. I'm a silly guy, especially you know outside of work. Um, there are many a photo of me just being a goof. Uh, I'm, I'm like I said to you earlier. I'm on vacation right now, and last night we went on a or yesterday we went on a hike, and I was hiking across a river, and I just stopped for a minute on this rock and did. Um, a yoga pose, like I, I forget what it's called, like standing tree or something like that. And my wife just started busting laughing and snapped the photo and you know threw it up on the internet and I, I can't help myself if I see something funny, I want to do it.
0: Humor is a powerful force in business. we don't use it enough. Humor relaxes people, it helps people be vulnerable it, it's wit and so and so much of the great work in our industry comes from wit, humor, laughter you know I, I loved uh, keith weed the. Former CMO at Unilever said, miserable people drive miserable results. So a jester is a good archetype for a CMO.
1: Yeah, you got to know when to joke and when yeah, not to joke yeah, as well. That's right.
0: So what's your favorite campaign or initiative you've ever been involved with in
1: your life? Oh, man, that's a hard question to answer. I- I've been very fortunate. Um, you know, I'm going to I'm, I'm go with one that people may not know about because... This is a campaign that really showed cross-functional integration, speed to market, scale, and it was just hard. But when I was at Taco Bell, there was a tweet that came out, and it was a practical joke against a small town in rural Alaska. The tweet was by sort of like a local jokester, and he said that they were getting a Taco Bell. You're not getting a Taco Bell in rural Alaska. It's just not happening. But the town got excited and it sort of hit, I think it hit the AP Newswire or somebody in our social team found it. I think they found it in social and then it started to maybe percolate, but we heard about it. We were like, this is so neat. So we went to our agency draft at the time, draft FTB. We said, look, there's something here. We don't know what it is. Concept over the weekend. They did and they came back Monday with what we called Operation Alaska. And Operation Alaska was us airlifting a taco truck into rural Alaska and bringing free Doritos Locos Tacos to this town. Holy shit. Let me tell you how hard it is to airlift a taco truck into rural Alaska. It was so hard. I mean, so start on a Friday, Monday concept, ad approved had to go to the CEO to get incremental funding for this. This is a seven figure idea, um, gets approved. And then we go into, how do we do it? We literally have no idea how to do it. We have to find a truck. We have to find a way to airlift it. We have to be safe. We have to do all these things. Oh, and by the way, we're going to shoot it all. And then immediately stick to creatives on a flight back editing in the air. Cause we want the ad like sort of as fast as humanly possible. And we did it. And the town was Bethel, Alaska. We call it Operation Alaska. You can find a link on YouTube. It was awesome. You got to do some things just for safety. We ended up gutting a truck. And then it was just the shell plus some like crossbeams inside for structural integrity. We couldn't get a Chinook helicopter, um, which is what we would have preferred. But all the Chinooks were fighting forest fires in Colorado at the time. So we had to go with like a Bell 305. I mean, I learned about helicopters, <laughs> right? So like- It beats crushing ginger, right? <laughs> it sure did. But like, then we had to like, you know, we got a we pimped out this chopper. It was all black with Taco Bell on it. We, we, we did all these things. It was just such high stress, such high reward. And when that ad came out, we had made the business decision several months behind. When we launched Doritos Augusto Taco, we launched it in March. And the marketing plan was that in fall, we were going to launch Cool Ranch. There was lots of discussion around, is this Cool Ranch launch too soon? The ad concept around Nacho Cheese was so big that we had already made the decision to hold back Cool Ranch. But when we, we secondary or we relaunched or just did our big next media push on Nacho Cheese, that was it. That was the launch ad. Like, you almost didn't have to do anything else except just celebrate everybody wanting this product. And it ran another two windows for us over there. And it was just big and fun and hard to do and breakthrough. And I'd never seen it like it. Like, that's the kind of marketing that gets my juices flowing.
0: That's the potential of our function, right? Yeah. It's thinking big, it's working, as you said, across functions with your creative agency capitalizing on something that was organic in culture. So well done. I remember that one too. I remember (laughs) almost everything Taco Bell does, which is a good statement of its marketing. If you remember stuff years later, it broke through.
1: We had an amazing run. Phenomenal, talented group of people when I was there.
0: All right. Rick Moranis is now in your advertising campaign.
1: How'd that come to be? Okay, this is the perfect example of marketers not touching creative, okay? So that campaign, again, this was our big sort of launch campaign with Ryan because Ryan signed on in November and then COVID hit in March. So we hadn't had a big campaign. The creative team, George, Ryan, they presented this work. It's great work. Then it's a campaign around, you know, it's hard to believe, admit, dot, dot, dot they present this concept around unlimited and Rick Moranis is in it and i go oh interesting why rick and the response was very much like we think there's something here and george and ryan are real excited about it there was lots of conversation right it, within my own head and then also with my management team because you're going rick moranis and i said look if I don't like to touch the creative. I only want to touch it if I can help make it better. But I said, look, look at the success rate, the hit rate these guys have had. It's phenomenal. Let's just see what happens. Mm -hmm. Worst case scenario, it it doesn't hit. And it was fun. Holy smokes. Like that thing blew up overnight. And it was really interesting because it's one of those where you're talking, they pitched it and they said, how do you feel about it? And I go, well, It doesn't seem like it would be relevant to a young brand, but I don't care. If you guys are excited about it, let's do it. And we did it. And I think that's the lesson there is like, you've got to have some faith in your creative teams here. And working on the agency side gave me years of experience of recommending a creative and then somebody choosing something else. It's just miserable. So having faith in your creative team and really empowering them is how we got to Rick Moranis, and it just blew up. So I'm so happy I didn't touch it at all, which which is a weird thing to say from a marketer.
0: It's a great lesson in trust there and confidence and uh, willing to fail. But I think you're right. Sometimes there's an intuition that creative people have, and if you don't follow that, more often than not, they will not stop bringing them to you. Yeah. So, you know, the next crazy idea they have that they think will work for the brand, you're going to see because they know you'll listen.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Aaron, this has been a wonderful conversation, full of laughter and some memories for me. Many things you worked on, I've, I've admired. And congratulations again on this incredible rocket growth you are seeing on this really, really interesting and important brand.
1: Well, thank you so much for your time. This has been very fun for me as well.
0: That was my conversation with Aaron North. Three takeaways from this conversation to apply in your business and life. The first one: how to work with a celebrity. Ryan Reynolds is the right celebrity for this brand. He's an investor and owner, so he has skin in the game, and he is used in so many different ways beyond advertising. And his conviction and enthusiasm come through in the brand. This was a masterclass in how to work with a celebrity. Second takeaway. Testing 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 and to be okay with failure. Aaron is always talking about pushing the limits, expecting failure and building in money in the budgets to try new things. Lesson number 3, how to surprise and delight your customers, your consumers. There are so many examples from this brand in in thinking about their consumers life and how to come into it in a delightful way, a surprising way, a fun way. And When you do that over and over again, your customers, your consumers come to respect you, love you, and be an advocate for you. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.